Hello and welcome to In Word and Deed, a podcast produced by the Center for Applied Ethics and Humanities at Santa Fe College. I'm Ann Tebow, professor of philosophy here at SF, and in a moment you'll hear from some of my students who have participated in Ethics Bowl over the years and a few who are fellows in the Intercollegiate Civil Disagreement Partnership, which is committed to reducing polarization by teaching students to connect across political differences. This desire to connect is increasingly on our minds as we think about being around family over the holidays and the prospect of sitting down to have discussions with people we don't always agree with. Today, Paola and Chantel will discuss how our personal preferences and boundaries make us inherently different from one another in our episode, Apples and Oranges. Hello, everyone. My name is Paola Jaramillo Sullivan. I am a non-traditional older student. I spent about a year at Santa Fe for my AA in Family, Youth, and Community Sciences. It's a mouthful, but um, transferred to the University of Florida, where I'm currently in my third year. I joined the Ethics Bowl, where we won our Mid-Atlantic Regional, the two-year bowl, and went on to nationals, which ended up ranking us fourth in the nation. I currently own my own marketing business called The Third Eye Collective, but I look forward to helping youth in our community explore their spirituality and awareness through therapy. And hi, everyone. My name is Chantel. I'm a non-traditional student, uh, having spent four years at Santa Fe for an AA in political science. I joined Ethics Bowl in its first year um, and loved it, and so joined again the second year, coming back as team captain. Um, and in that year, we won the two-year bowl. Um, after that year, I graduated and ended up transferring to GS College at Columbia University in New York, where I am now. Um, I currently sit on the board for the Afghan Student Alliance at Columbia University. I volunteer staff at the Southeast Regional Model United Nations, um, which holds collegiate conferences in Atlanta, Georgia and Charlotte, North Carolina. And I also work as the Youth Education Program Coordinator at Paper Airplanes, which is a nonprofit um, that serves refugees and conflict-affected individuals in the Middle East and North Africa. So today's episode is Apples and Oranges, about the personal choices and boundaries we make for ourselves. A necessary part of having civil discourse is knowing yourself. And in order to have civil conversation with others, it really requires this understanding of yourself first. To understand others, you must understand yourself. And this episode is about taking inventory of the decisions you make, the boundaries you have, and the personal choices that you make day to day. Do you ever feel like you have to defend your personal choices? Or what about choices we think are personal, but then hear on the news, social media, or the classroom that it's more complicated than that? We decided to come together to talk about some of the more controversial personal choices we've made, as well as those being made around us that have recently made media headlines. What we'll try to talk through is why we've made our choices and who they really affect. A controversial decision um, that I think, it, you know, for me personally, Chantal, is this decision of, of practicing sober curiosity. Um, I made this personal choice um, only about a year ago, and it really does invite some outsized reactions. So this is really interesting to me when we first started talking about this, Paula. Um, for those who may not know, Paula and I have not known each other for very long. 
But even within a few conversations, it became clear that she was not one for kind of labels or, you know, sticking people in different boxes. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm kind of curious now why this term sober curiosity, because it, it, it's, it sounds kind of like a label. Is it something that you use all the time? Do you, do you stick to it? Yeah, so absolutely. I think so in my journey, I think that it's been very obvious that alcohol and I don't mix um, it doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make my body feel good. I um, definitely coming out of sort of a fog and a haze, it takes a while for me. Um, for me personally, I, I have had um, members in my family um, have troubles with alcoholism. And so I didn't actually even start drinking until I was 21 um, for the very first time. And then it just became a social thing. Um, and being the people pleaser that I am, just being very it, a difficult decision to say no to, to friends and family even. So the term sober curiosity really invites conversation. So when I say, oh, no, 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 I'm not drinking, people really know what that means. And then the conversation is just shut down. And we really don't go into it um, as much. Um, it's really interesting that people just you know, they'll, they'll, they'll tend to push when you're just saying, I'm not drinking. Oh, no, no, just have one more. Come on. Or, you know, don't be a wuss. But it's really about being aware of how you phrase the decisions that you've made. And I practice sober curiosity. I'm not, I don't say I am sober curious. In practicing sober curiosity, I really invite mistakes to happen. So if I do want to have a drink, it's okay. I'm perfectly okay um, having a drink or two. Um, but I really do invite those those sort of lessons of understanding what my body needs, what I want at the time, maybe why I made the decision to, to drink. Was it just to curb the edge or um, was it just to have a refreshing mojito? Um, who knows? But, you know, at the time, I really like to think through those decisions. And being sober curious is, is really just a way of, of life for me right now. And it's, it's not who I am in the sense of I don't let it define me. It's just a, a, a decision I'm making at that moment. I really like that idea that you brought up about practicing sober curiosity instead of saying, I, I am sober curious, which kind of makes that black and white division, right? I'm sober or I'm not sober. I'm practicing, meaning that there's flexibility kind of there or flexibility, at least. And as you said, making mistakes and lessons, um, talking about apples to oranges, I am a bit of the opposite. I'm definitely a social drinker. Um, and, and if I could be frank, I mean, I'm, I've never really been that interested in sober curiosity for myself. Um, but after talking to you about it, it kind of bothers me when I think not about why I might want to be sober curious, but what the reaction would be in kind of the social life that I've built around me. Um, so much of what we do nowadays, particularly in college, right, can center around the bar or parties or going out and drinking. Um, and then even at work, right, as we as you start to go into the the nine to five world or even our, our part time jobs, right, there's often like a weekly happy hour invite. It's very rare that the invitation is, you know, to go to a book club or even to go to a <laughs> coffee shop down the street. Right. Yeah. So I can't help but wonder then has has it affected your social relationships and dynamics the way that 
I feel like it might affect mine. Um, what what has the reaction been and kind of just how how do you deal with it? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, as I mentioned before, I was a, a people pleaser and a perfectionist or what Brene Brown um, cleverly calls a recovering perfectionist in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. I'm not going to lie, though, it's really a lot of work. It's about taking a step back and working on yourself with unconditional love. And that can be difficult. That is that is very much a challenge. And it's something that I'm constantly working on daily. But it is something that uh, to sort of get to this place where you can say no comfortably, it took me time to make sort of these personal decisions and be able to back up those personal decisions confidently without fear of embarrassment, without fear of um, neglect, um, without fear of being made fun of. Um, because those are really, you know, the funniest thing is that you you think that, you know, you sort of like, it's called the monkey brain. You have all of these little chit chat noises in your head. It's like, oh, what are people going to say? What are people going to think? And, you know, every time I'd say 10 out of 10 times, very confidently, those noises are 100% wrong. They, no one is making fun, no one is is judging. Um, and, you know, I, and, and I really do feel that people respect you more when you are presenting the choices that you've that you've really presented and you've, and it shows that you've thought through them thoroughly. So it sounds like I've been kind of over here wondering about, you know, what the social reaction is. And what you're saying is that, yeah, there's the social reaction, but that's that's not actually the first thing that you thought of or that even you approached. Right. It sounds like the first stage was like knowing what you really want, right? Deciding if that was to practice sober curiosity or not. And then you're talking about building up the confidence to be able to present your choice if, of not drinking or practicing sober curiosity, if that's what you want to do. And it's not even until after that, that you start dealing with the reactions after. Um, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's definitely easier to go with the flow and not rock the boat per se. We may drink because of social reasons. We may vote a certain way because our social group of friends voted that certain way. Or maybe you want to piss off Uncle Johnny, you know, or you maybe even join a club because our circle of friends joined that club. It's absolutely normal to fall into choices and decisions that are seemingly, quote, the capacity to be your own person, but which is also known as personal autonomy. Choices um, but they are, in fact, a social collective autonomy. And what is a social collective autonomy? It's basically an autonomy that belongs to the group and wherein the group gets to govern itself and gets to make collective decisions. So individuals um, that have personal autonomy, um, they don't get to have that individuality because you're making it as a collective. And in today's world, we unfortunately can't talk about personal choices without at least acknowledging the argument of personal choice in, for example, getting the vaccine. Can I really equate my right to choose whether or not to get vaccinated with my right to choose whether or not to drink? I think it's really interesting that we go there, right? Um, from, from this deceptively controversial idea of 
whether we want to drink or not in a public situation to something that is very clearly and blatantly controversial, right, in the headlines right now about um, whether to uh, get the vaccine or not. Um, I guess something I think about when this comes up is the quote by John Stuart Mills. Um, he says, your right to swing your fist ends where my nose begins. So for those who, who aren't aware or haven't read him, I mean, back in the 1800s, right? There was this guy <laughs> called John Mills. <laughs> um, so we can see that like we're progressing this, this conversation that's been around for centuries about um, personal choice. Um, and so he talks about this thing called the harm principles and uh, your rights and liberties, which are basically, we can boil it down right to the ethics of personal choice. So this quote about swinging your fist is pretty self-explanatory, but to spell it out, right, the point um, is that you're free to do whatever you want, provided you're not harming anyone. Um, so you're free to swing your fist round and round in the air, up and down the street, but the moment you see somebody walking out of the grocery store and you aim that fist towards that person's face, your, your freedom, your right to do that is gone because now you've harmed somebody, right? And, and Mills is pretty clear about what harm is. Um, and we should be too, right? It's not like you're offending somebody by something you've said, um, or we're talking about drinking, right? Drinking until you embarrass yourself at a party. Um, it's Harm is like inciting people to act violently um, or drinking and then getting behind the wheel of a car to drive through town, right? Those first two things, they might hurt people's feelings or you might do some damage to yourself, either to your reputation uh, or, or to your bathroom from getting sick the next day. Um, but the second to do violent harm to other people, like physical violent harm, either by you being behind the wheel um, or you in front of a group with guns and pitch, pitchforks, right, inciting that kind of violence. Absolutely. And so is this harm, whether it's intentional or not? So this harm is is going to be intentional, right? You have the intent to to harm somebody or you understand the the consequences of these actions are blatant, right? If you're we've discovered, right? If you're drinking and you're you're above the influence and you get it behind the car, you might not mean to hurt somebody, but you know that your judgment is impaired, right? And so that's where we step in and say that your your right to freedom of movement should be restricted because we know what comes from operating a, a heavy vehicle when your your mind is impaired. Right, right. So this is kind of where the intersection where personal choices and your well-being meets community well-being, right? So how mm -hmm. can we all agree on some level the importance of community well-being, sort of social contract without, you know, using all of these philosophy words? I think it's interesting as well how some of these issues become these sort of sticking points, but there are so many choices in our sort of day-to-day -day that we don't question whether or not we're making them because we either personally want to, or maybe because everyone else is doing it, or maybe because it's just convenient to go along, or whether we're doing it for the better of the community. I, I mean, I'm guilty of not always thinking that, you know, uh, just living in my own world, in my own bubble. And I think that um, 
not thinking about the greater good can be can definitely be challenging. So I would challenge us all to really pick on some habitual decisions we make every day and some decisions that we make in our social context and really think about why we choose that. Um, but just to highlight some differences in the personal choices we make, drinking versus not drinking, getting the vaccine versus not getting the vaccine, religious, um, being religious, being being spiritual versus being agnostic. These are our apples and oranges, folks. Um, yeah, Chantal? Yeah, I think something to also think through, just kind of building off of this uh, momentum we've gained, right? Um, a lot of our decisions we make, we also justify as it being our right to make, right? It's our, our, our right and our personal choice, whether we decide to drink or not drink. Um, we just talked about how to decide whether it's your right or or not to get a, the vaccine, that intersection between community well-being versus individual choices. Um, these are two different things. These two things can also be different from your religiosity versus your spirituality versus being agnostic, depending upon how you exercise those things, which again kind of goes into um, our harm principle, right? How how our decision affects others around us. Um, so before we leave, I thought it might be fun to have a little thought experiment. Um, so for those of you who have or have not participated in a thought experiment, it's essentially just a situation that we're going to walk through. Um, and it sounds deceptively simple, but it's very difficult to kind of dis disassociate ourselves from, from the people that we are and to imagine a completely new scenario in which who we are and our, our kind of thoughts and decisions don't exist. But we're going to try it, okay? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> so imagine you're about to enter a new world, still humans, but totally new. Um, so maybe we're, you know, we've we found a, a secondary planet, right? Uh, mm -hmm. A mirror to Earth. I'm sure Elon uh, oh, Musk was the was behind that. <laughs> <laughs> His dream. Yeah. Uh, so you have no idea what color uh, people are, how many colors people are, and in what proportion, right? Um, you have no idea what religion anybody is or how many religions there are. You have no idea what talents are highly prized and compensated, um, which jobs. You have no idea what the socioeconomic stratum is, meaning you don't know what percentage of people are poor, rich, et cetera. Do they uh, still quantify wealth and riches based on some sort of currency? Um, it's kind of difficult to wrap your head around, right? Mm -hmm. So you know nothing about the people in this world, and you also know nothing about yourself before entering it. Yet before you enter it, you have to decide what the basic structures and principles of the society should be. And whatever you choose, you're stuck with this in the world. So should that world be a dictatorship, right? Do you know it maybe depending on your, your thoughts, it might be okay if you're entering that world and you are the dictator. Um, but what if you're a poor creative writer in this world, right? Um, what if you want to build this society based on everybody being out for themselves to maximize their benefits, kind of, you know, the, this competition dog eat dog. Well, you don't know if you're entering this world with some kind of disability that keeps you from being able to claw your way to the top. So you have to think maybe, 
Should there be some kind of mechanisms in place in, in case you come out as one of the, the poorer or less advantaged people in this world? Um, do we have an obligation to one another for that? So it's kind of a long thought experiment, but it actually highlights um, another philosopher called uh, Rawls. And he had this idea of original position. And the idea, right, is when we think about what is our right, sometimes we're coming at it from a place of who and where we are in a society. We think about what is our right to do regardless of what that might impose on other people that we either don't see or choose to ignore. So Rawls' idea of the original position is that, okay, if we were going to decide how a society should be structured, which includes our rights, what we should and shouldn't do, um, what if we had no idea how that world was structured and we had no idea who we would be in the world? That would be behind what he calls a veil of ignorance. And if we can take that step back and we can kind of try to wrap our heads around this, this disembodiment, right, of being a person and, and how we would construct something where we didn't know where we would be placed. Um, maybe these arguments of what is what is right um, would be different. Yeah. And so, yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that. So really thinking through not only your personal choices from a selfish perspective, right, but then this veil of ignorance allows you to literally put on this veil that covers, you know, just I'm a, I'm a very visual person. So covers your head, covers your, you know, just covers everything and you go completely essentially blind into, into, into the world. And how do those, how do those rules and decisions really govern and dictate everything around you? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So to sort of wrap up, um, the importance of personal choices. I really, the examples that were given between drinking versus not drinking, vaccines versus no vaccines, being religious or spiritual, apples and oranges. I hope everyone kind of really can take a step back and see that there are differences between even just these minute little personal choices. They may be big, they may be small, whether you're drinking water or soda, you know, those all of these decisions really do do have a either personal or communal effect. I agree. And I, I like how we really went from something that can be a minute personal decision, right, to, to that really might just affect you or your group of friends to a decision that arguably could affect your community, your nation, the world, right? Um, and so really taking that time as you go through your day and figuring out who does my decision impact? And if it, in, in the case of your drinking, right? If your, your decision doesn't really impact very many people, um, what's stopping you from making it? Where is that that difference between personal and collective autonomy? So I really appreciate you sharing, Paula. I think this was a really interesting case to get into. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, one of my favorites was, you know, the rights and the punching nose quote. I think it's, you know, <laughs> a really good way to sort of end that segment because it really, it really comes down. I think that when we had this conversation originally, that's that was a very visual quote for me to really think through. Um, just everyday decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. So remember, your right to swing your fist ends where your nose begins.
Altogether, we have differences founded on personal choices, and those choices are ours to make. I think, Paula, you introduced a section of this decision-making I hadn't quite given credence to at the beginning. Sometimes I'm so worried about how my personal choices might be received that I, and I think others, don't take the time to step back and decide what our personal choices are. You know, like really sit with them and then build the confidence to present them as felt to those around us. It's funny, this was supposed to be a segment on civil external discourse, but sometimes the internal discourse is an overlooked first step to even walking into the conversation. Yeah, absolutely, Chantel. And I really appreciate how you really frame the intersection of where personal and community well-being meet. You're literally stepping into someone else's shoes and developing empathy for another person. You really shouldn't go into a conversation to change someone's mind or to want to change someone's mind. You should want to go into a conversation by developing a deeper understanding of one another, by understanding yourself first. Thanks for joining us, everyone. On the next episode, instead of talking about our differences, they'll be talking about how to find common ground between people. Stay tuned.